I think this is a Netflix movie in the making. <laughs> what would the title be, Lily? Laboratada Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. I'm not amazingly intelligent, but I'm not a stupid person. Your English is so good. Every time you think, well, this couldn't get any more bizarre and there couldn't be a, a weirder news story, they managed to excel themselves. <gasps> Was that Juan Carlos? Invita a Simon a una pinta de Guinness. I think we've sufficiently lowered the tone. Please <laughs> haven't found the wine. It's because you're better looking than me. ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá! Hello, welcome to the fourth La Portada episode of season three. My name is Lily Mayers and the seasoned giddy sitting across the table from me is my co-host Simon Hunter. We are, as always, here to drown out the noise and give you the key news from this week so you can experience Spain at a deeper level. On today's La Portada, we'll be looking at the loose ends in Congress, stormy weather damage across the country, and we chat to author Pilar Orti about the unusual ways Spain celebrates Christmas and the New Year. So if you don't know what a cajonet is, you soon will. For our Patreon listeners this week, I'll be channeling Stephen Fry on QI and testing Simon on his Spanish history and general knowledge. Oh, God. Before we get into that, though, Simon, how are you going? I'm good. I went to uh, a bar last week to watch the uh, watch England lose in the World Cup, which yes. was kind of inevitable. I, yeah, I was that close to actually going to England to watch it, but I decided wow. not to in the end. Thank God I didn't because there was a massive snowstorm. Uh, and then after we watched England lose, someone said, you know, oh, let's go to this bar. And I was like, Okay, fine. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it's a new bar and the, the owners will be really glad that we all go there and bring them some custom. So we went to the bar and the guy behind the bar was this massive guy, like a huge, muscles. very stocky. Yeah, like muscles and tattoos, um, skinhead, haircut. Uh, but he seemed, seemed very nice. I started, sat down, started chatting to him and, uh, you know, was asking him about his bar and his new business and everything. And he was telling me this and that. And then he, he did say something that kind of uh, put a little alarm bell mm. in my head. If anyone listened to last week's episode when we were talking about all the bulos and all the hoaxes about the Moroccan trouble yes. after the game and he said oh yeah in parlor the other day they set fire to the Moroccans set fire to you know a building and I was Ew. thinking well that wasn't that wasn't true maybe this is why your bar's so quiet uh, well, yeah and then and then he said uh, okay well anyway yeah it was nice to chat to you and this is me and he handed over my, my his business card and he's one of these guys you know when there are squatters in oh. houses and these oh, guys these companies go in desocupaciones you know, desocupaciones with K. like a viking business card yeah so and it was the funniest thing was that he'd already said that thing about you know Parla and also we were such a, a an international group I was with a British guy who's Asian and, and well, no there were two Asians there and we were just like and we're all sitting there speaking English because the rest were English and everything and yeah. I was just thinking oh, I hope we're going to be welcome in this this guy is like selling himself as a bit of a mercenary. No, no, totally. I totally. A reoccupation of uh, stolen objects, private security. He started Ooh. showing me videos of him on Telemadrid, you know, basically removing people from it. <laughs> so anyway, so if anyone would like to go to the bar, just uh, you know, send me a DM. <laughs> and yeah, and apart from that, like you just gearing up for the Christmas break, you are off to Australia. I'm off to Australia on Monday. Only a couple of days to go. I'm very excited. Can't wait to see my family. Oh. Um, but I'll still be doing the podcast remotely. We're going to make it work <laughs> with the time differences and everything. Yeah. It's about eight hours Will between. Will there be a delay? <laughs> there might be a delay on the line, yeah. But that's a big journey. My goodness, Yeah, it's like 24 hours. Yeah. But there's summer on the other end. Well, that's true. That's so incentive. That's Where's your layover? 
Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, right. Only a couple of hours is actually pretty lucky one. Sometimes we've had layovers of seven hours at, in the middle of the night, so you couldn't even do anything. And do you both cope all right with that? Yeah, we pretty much just try and sleep. It's awful. I think it's awful whether you can sleep, whether you're a good flyer, whether you're a bad It's just a bad time. Yeah. You just got to get through it. Yeah. But it's so great on the other end that knowing my family are going to be at the airport is beautiful. Well, there you go. You, you take, take your advice from my favourite Christmas movie, the best Christmas movie of all time, which is, of course, Die, die Hard. hard. Yeah. You can Make say that. Fists with your toes. Fists with your toes on the carpet when you get there. But, of course, that didn't work for John McClane because that's how he ended up barefoot for the rest of the film. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Thank you to everyone, as always, who's supporting us on Patreon. If you're not already, I encourage you to head to patreon.com forward slash La Portada Pod, where you can buy us a... Relaxing cup of cafe con leche in Plaza Mayor. Even if you just sign up for one month or make us a one-off donation, we'll be eternally grateful. We need your support to keep the podcast going. Simon, I was speaking to one of those special Patreon listeners because that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's the service we <laughs> offer, direct phone calls. Hang on, but what kind of no, service are you real? offering now? No. We can we make some serious money no. on Patreon if you're Yuck, back. Yes. <laughs> okay, anyways, I was talking to Nigel this week and you know what he told me? What? You know on when you're listening to podcasts, you can go times one yeah. speed. Yeah. He has us in fast forward. Complete with Nazi salutes and saying Zeke Heil. I mean, that to me is even more shocking. I think to your point about, you know, worrying about the future of these boys for a mistake that they make at school, they have an opportunity to hear, to, to learn from it and help others learn from it. Really? And I said, how on earth can you understand yeah. when Simon's always putting himself down for speaking so fast I naturally? Have, I have tried to slow down because we did get that, you know, we did get a bit of... Um, we did get a bit of blowback, didn't we, from <laughs> Stephen Bergen from The Guardian. To me, slow down, man. Yeah. But actually, we did this on um, on my previous podcast, Ke. Uh, not only can you speed it up, but also you can slow, slow it down, down yeah. which sounds so funny. This is what we sound like when we're slowed down. And whether they say it was intended to be so offensive or not, it was, and I think it was shocking for everyone to see. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget that this, this, these, uh, this halls of residence is run by a religious order. Mm. I mean, it, it, you know, <laughs> it basically sounds like we're drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some weeks I have been drunk when doing the podcast, <laughs> but fortunately I didn't uh, I didn't quite say Well, I like thought that. you'd like that, so stop giving yourself a hard time for speaking too fast. You're Brilliant. fine. Thank you, Nigel. Yeah, well, I know, but I think it is good to kind of find a happy medium, especially if we've got any Spanish That's listeners, because right. we're right. like galloping along at a rate of knots. It's not the best. All right, let's see how we go. This week in Congress, there's been a frenzy as the government tries to tie up loose ends before the Christmas break. We've spoken about many of the lingering issues as they've bubbled along this year, like the structure of the General Council of the Judiciary, the CGPJ, and the reformation of the criminal code by eliminating the law of sedition as it is, reforming the crime of embezzlement and reducing the sentences associated with both. Well, the government rushed those last two issues through the parliament this week, much to the disdain of opposition parties. As we've gone through in the past, the law of sedition is particularly pertinent in Spain because the Catalan separatist leaders who organised that illegal 2017 referendum were charged under the crime of sedition and misuse of public funds or embezzlement. 
This week, the government passed a raft of changes to the criminal code, including a reduction in the maximum punishments for embezzlement from 12 years jail time to four when there's no profit motive. They also agreed to create a new type of embezzlement amendment for using public funds in a different way than they were intended. Since those changes have passed through Parliament, there's been intense debate as to whether a new Catalan independence referendum could be announced, whether Pedro Sanchez had the support of his party on this issue before making the changes, and if a snap election should be called as the PP has suggested. Sanchez himself said it was a risky move. Simon, is it possible that this deal has satisfied the Catalonians and securities numbers in Parliament, or has the risky move just made more trouble for himself? Well, there's a whole load to unpick there. So let's start. Before I answer those questions, which I will come to, <laughs> let's just start with this this absolutely mad flurry of activity. I mean, there's mm. stuff that's happened this week that we're not even going to be able to touch. Like, for example, the, the abortion law has passed Congress this week, meaning that once it actually goes into law, 16 and 17-year-olds will be able to have a termination without parental permission, which has also been quite um, controversial. And the trans law is continuing its path through Congress. It was approved this week by... By the Equality Commission without the amendments that the Socialist Party wanted to put into it, which was that 14 and 15 year olds will be able to change their sex on ID documents without judicial approval. That's now going to go to a vote on December the 22nd. So it is, it's an absolute mm. flurry of activity before Christmas. And I think some people are saying, some critics are saying, well, the idea is get all this difficult stuff done get all this risky stuff like you said Pedro Sanchez has been really open about it saying you know this is all very risky but there's no other choice get it all done before the end of the year and then when the regional and local elections swing around in the spring and then the general election comes in you know uh, the end of next year maybe everyone will have forgotten about it (laughs) or everyone would have just taken it on and this is kind of you know this is the big um, gamble that uh, Pedro Sanchez is making it's just like right let's, let's just do as much stuff as possible and also hats off to him to get for getting so much done yeah in this fractured uh congress that we've got where he hasn't got say um where he hasn't got a a working majority in the congress i mean it's been you know cobbled together with the support of these smaller parties including of course as you mentioned the catalan nationalist party such as the uh, catalan republican left the erc yesterday what is it i say in the interview in the intro i say something like um just when you think it couldn't get you know uh, (laughs) any more bizarre bizarre and you know (laughs) they surpass themselves well that yesterday was really one of those days it was an incredibly tense debate in congress basically because there was this possibility hanging over the session that the constitutional court was actually going to suspend the session uh, which would have been extraordinary. The, the reason it was talking about suspe- suspending the session was because the popular party, the main opposition popular party, filed a motion with the Constitutional Court um, because it was claiming that deputies had been deprived of their rights to debate the legislation that mm. was passing through yesterday. Because it was all, it's all kind of rolled into one. It's a, it's a, it's um one one bill which is going to make all of these different changes to the criminal code. It's a real hodgepodge of legislative changes and it has been rushed through by the government it is going through a sort of you know express mm. um way through the lower house of parliament in spain which is of course the congress um so th- this was sort of hanging over the session yesterday uh, it would have been extraordinary because it's basically the judicial branch 
encroaching on the legislative branch. Mm. The Congress is there to make laws and then the Constitutional Court is there to make sure that they are, you know, they are upheld. But the Constitutional Court, which is dominated by conservative judges, uh, seem to be actually considering, and let's not forget in record time as well, actually intervening to stop Mm. a law from passing before... Congress even had a chance to vote on it. So that was extraordinary. That is why there was all this talk about a coup. Um, there was all this citing of uh, 23F, uh, 23F, which is, of course, the February 23rd coup attempt in mm-hmm. 1981, which I'm sure everyone will, will have the image of us when the civil guards entered into the lower house of parliament into congress and fired their weapons um and basically held deputies hostage while spain was in its um very you know infancy of uh, the the de- democratic um new democratic period in fact during the debate yesterday the uh, deputies were actually pointing up at the ceiling at Ooh. the bullet holes in the ceiling where um, talk about Ooh. that is some what serious yeah, exactly that's some serious um you know, political um, theatre and political mm. dramatic, you know, but they left those bullet holes in the ceiling out for a reason, which was to remind the deputies of what, what had um, happened in the past. Um, so that was hanging over the session and that can, that goes some way to um, sort of explain why it was so, um, why it was so tense. Mm. Uh, in particular, the Socialist Party spokesperson who got up to speak yesterday he looked i mean he almost looked he looked really emotional um his name is felipe sicilia uh and he invoked the coup attempt uh he said basically that you know civil guards entered the chamber and held the deputies hostage and this time instead of wearing those tricorn hats those tricornials those three-pointed hats that the civil guard used to wear they were wearing judges robes mm-hmm. i mean he was he was accusing the judiciary yeah. of a coup Hace 41 años, la derecha quiso parar un pleno del Congreso y parar también la democracia. Lo hizo con tricornios. Hoy, señorías, hoy, señorías, la derecha ha vuelto a querer parar. Silencio, por favor. Uh, I mean, his face was an absolute picture. And then Cuca Gamarra, who's the PP spokesperson, she responded absolutely furiously. Yeah. Que el 23 de febrero de 1981, en este país, gobernaba el centro derecha. Y estaba en esta cámara sentado el centro derecha aquí cuando se produjo un golpe de Estado. It was incredibly emotional. Of course, Vox um, did their part. They did speak in the debate. But then they left. Uh, they they wouldn't dignify the the debate with their presence. Um, Vox citizens and the PP all called for the session to be disp- suspended until the Constitutional Court ruled. In the end, the Constitutional Court has kicked it over to Monday. Mm. Um, so the legislation passed, um, but they're still going to meet on Monday, um, and there still could be some legal problems ahead. They're talking about yes, it, this has been rushed, and it's been a quick movement in 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 the congress this week but we've been talking about these issues for weeks and the government has been trying to get movement on them for a while so is it fair for the pp and vox and other and ciudadanos to complain that this is rushed if they've been holding up 
the debate on it? Well, it's because it's being it's because it's being rushed through Congress, so it's not going through the usual. It's going through a, a fast track process through Congress, so it's not getting the same amount of debate as it as it would previously, and that's the problem. That's the basis of right. the motion that the PP have filed with the Constitutional Court. Um, because, like I said, it's a bit of everything, and this this legislation even includes jail terms of up to six years for companies such as Glovo, you know, the delivery mm. company, if they it's continue like to yeah, if they continue to employ falsos autonomous so if uh, their riders are working for them as um as uh, as freelancers rather than um uh, rather than being on on uh, on salary um sedition disappears under this uh, as you mentioned uh, lily replaced by aggravated public disorder and that stands to gain it's not just the uh, catalan independence leaders who've already been convicted but it's also those who are to face trial in the future if they ever return to Spain, such as Carlos Puigdemont, but also more minor figures as well. And that's in particular refers to the misappropriation of funds. So the prison term comes down to four years if there's no personal gain. So there's lots of figures um, from the Catalan administration who are still facing uh, trial for the misappropriation of funds for having spent public money on the um, illegal referendum Mm -hmm. in 2017. Um, the the ones who were convicted, uh, they've already, of course, been pardoned and freed from prison, but they're still banned from public office. So that's how the misappropriation of funds change would affect them. So it means that someone like the leader of the Catalan Republican left, uh, Oriol Junqueras, he could potentially return to politics very, very soon. Like next year, he could mm, actually run by the, the elections. next yeah. Exactly, yeah, by, the, by the next year. Um, so yeah, so it's not just the opposition that's been up in arms about this, but also from within the Socialist Party, uh, Emiliano García Paje, who's the um, socialist president of the uh, Castilla-La Mancha uh, region, he said that it was intolerable to negotiate with criminals over their own uh, punishment. Um, So what happens now? The um, express changes to the criminal code, they still have to be approved by the Senate, and then the Constitutional Court still has to rule uh, on Monday uh, on these appeals that the PP have um, filed. And to complicate those matters further, uh, Unidas Podemos is claiming that two of the members of the court need to recuse themselves from the deliberations Mm. on the basis that they have personal interests in the decision. Because basically... We're talking about legislation that would uh, pave the way for the for new judges to be appointed. And if this is if this does go through, if it is upheld, um, then there will end up being more progressive uh, judges on the court rather than the balance at the moment, which is um, more conservative. Uh, And then, of course, uh, we have the issue of Catalonia. So the uh, Catalan Republican left, despite having got the concessions that it's been looking for for these changes to sedition and um, embezzlement laws it uh, started calling again this week for a new referendum so not satisfied with what it's got already it's still pushing uh, despite the concessions that they've uh, already won and it actually came up with its proposal Uh, it says it wants a 50% turnout level which is uh, 2.85 million people of the 5.7 million people who are eligible to vote in Catalonia. And then they say that 55% of those people would need to vote in favour of secession uh, from Spain for it to uh, become a reality. So that's 55% of 2.85 million people, which is about 1.57 million people of 5.7 million people. So... 
I mean, I don't know. But the finance minister and PSOE deputy secretary general Maria Jesus Montero cleared that up pretty quickly, didn't she? She said, with the government of Pedro Sanchez, there will be no referendum in Catalonia or anywhere else in Spain. Exactly. Yeah, the um, socialists are dead against it. It's it isn't within the constitution. Uh, but I guess I guess the big question for me, always hanging over this, is like, well, you know, couldn't we have a non-binding vote? Can we have a national and regional non-binding vote? Because it's far from clear as to whether it would just to uh, take the pulse. Yeah, exactly. And it's far from clear as to whether it would uh, actually win. Because let's not forget, there's no well, there's certainly not at the moment more than fifty percent support for uh, pro-independence parties. So it would be great once and for all to settle this question but mm. then of course as we've seen in recent years referendums can be um very dangerous so <laughs> one of the th- yeah one of the things that the pp uh, the pp was really bashing the uh, socialists with yesterday was the absence of pedro sanchez at the debate but he was in brussels at a european summit but he did come out and speak last night it was obviously clear that he'd been following the events in congress uh, very closely he didn't talk about a coup he didn't use that language but he did say that the constitutional court had tried to muzzle the parliament and trample democracy. Hoy la derecha y también la ultraderecha lo que han tratado de hacer es amordazar nada más y nada menos que al parlamento de España. And he blamed the right and the far right for that. Uh, he also slammed the Constitutional Court for what I just mentioned about how for convening in just 24 hours. Mm. We, you know, notoriously slow justice system mm. in Spain, funnily enough, was working very fast here. And he honed in on an issue which is really, um, you know, at the, at the heart of this, which is that the PP has never accepted the legitimacy of this current government. And it does feel like the PP are kind of, you know, locked in the past and the two party system and they just can't quite get their head around this, this you know, the, the way that the politics is has been working in recent years with the coalition and with this sort of you know this support coming from the smaller parties um in fact uh, there was a, there was a very good column in el país this week um headlined who can govern spain uh, and it points out that the the pp leader alberto nunez fejo said this week that the pp is not renewing the cgpj which is the um the legal watchdog to protect the justice system from the sanchez government which is as we know, as we've discussed before, it's completely um, unconstitutional. Mm. Uh, and, you know, he, he can't seem to get his red out, head around the fact that we've now got this hodgepodge of parties churning out a hodgepodge of policy, but with um, with consensus among the parties. So, you know, like we said, Sanchez, he knows this is all risky. He said it very clearly, but it'll be next year at the polls when we see whether it has paid off. Let's thankfully move on from the absolutely chaotic world of uh, Spanish politics to the chaotic world of Spanish weather. Uh, after an unusually hot summer in Spain, it feels like we're going through an unusually uh, wet winter. I mean, uh, the, the, where, whether I've been here in Madrid or whether I was out in Avila, it feels like it's been raining for like two following weeks. Following you. <laughs> yeah, it's following me. It feels like it's been ra- raining for like two weeks solid now. And I don't mind confessing that it's all getting a bit tedious. Mm. Uh, parts of Spain this week have been battered by storm Efrain, uh, which has left, left one person dead and caused chaos on the roads and in homes in places such as Extremadura, Andalusia and Madrid. So tell us, Lily, what on earth is going on with the weather? Well, yeah, the Efrain storm first hit Portugal, then it moved east, where, as you say, it did centre around the Extremadura region most significantly. The village of La Roca de la Sierra in the province of Badajoz suffered such heavy rain, its river overflowed, and that their river runs straight through the town, and it almost destroyed the entire village. 
10 people needed rescuing after becoming stranded in the floods, and they've recorded more than 100 litres of water per square metre. In the town of Hevora, the flood was so bad that the town was isolated and the two and 200 people needed to be evacuated. The flooding mainly affected Extremadura and Castilla-La Mancha, but even in Madrid we had major highway delays and six metro line closures due to flooding within the stations. Twitter took on the challenge, editing popular Madrid metro stations underwater and showing scuba divers trying to get in. My favourite tweet was one from Luis Hernandez, which said, the Madrid metro is cheap. What's expensive is the mooring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it was unbelievable. Um, it got really strong in the evening on Wednesday. I mean, because it had been raining all day and then it just absolutely started to, to pour. And that image of the water like it was a literal flood going down into the uh, yeah. bank of the Spanish station it was extraordinary um but it seems that it was it was the kind of intensity it's not an unusual amount of rain over a period of time but it was just it was that it was it was so intense and that's why it uh, it flooded the system um and when it rains like that in the capital it also floods the road tunnels and that was what uh, the emergency services were being called out for um because the pumps in the metro worked really well they got they got all that water out in two mm. hours and uh, it was it was all the service was re-established but i said we were going to move away from politics but it's always fun to um you know dig up old... how, how on earth could they have made the storm political <laughs> yeah. well it's always fun to dig up old tweets about you know what politicians said about things like this when they were in opposition so the madrid <laughs> mayor jose luis martinez almeida in 2018 he wrote on twitter four raindrops fall and madrid completely seizes up and he was <laughs> criticising the then mayor, uh, leftist Manuela Carmena. Um, but of course, you know, four years later, nothing seems to have changed. Uh, he came up with a load of great excuses when the Filomena snowstorm brought Madrid grinding to a halt in January 2021. Uh, and this time he blamed he blamed the state weather agency, AMET, for oh, not God. putting out a warning. I mean, he did just about, you know, go far enough to sort of admit that the drainage system doesn't work as it should. Um, but uh, yeah, socialist spokesperson Mar Espinar, she came back, she said, Madrid is not prepared for heat, snow or rain. Mm. And yeah, she may have a point. <laughs> We're a fragile city. Simon, as it's the season, I've been thinking a lot about Christmas traditions and the quirky things we do in each country to celebrate the holidays. Some of the craziest traditions, of course, come from Spain. Look no further than the Catalan's Cajatillo. Do you know what that is? I do indeed. Well, it was explained to me over the weekend. For those who don't know what it is, just stick with me here. It's a wooden log that families take in over Christmas. They draw a face on it and they give it little legs. So it sort of stands like a big chunky sausage dog. Then of course they cover it in a blanket so it doesn't get cold and they leave food out for it every night. Then on Christmas Eve, the children come in with sticks and they hit the log. (laughs) So naturally it poops out sweets and gifts under its blanket. And presumably they burn it (laughs) in the fire. Well, when that was explained to me, I thought, okay, this is the tip of the iceberg. If this is not, if this is a normal tradition, to talk me through some other Spanish traditions, I sought out Madrilenian author, voiceover star, and podcaster Pilar Ordi. I went to Pilar because she literally wrote the book on it, the A to Z of Spanish culture. She's now based in London, where she joined me over the phone. Pilar, welcome to La Portada. Thank you so much for for joining us from London. 
Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, great work. I've listened to a few of your episodes and uh, yeah, great. Done. <laughs> good, good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, well, we're going to talk about Christmas. And first of all, I wondered if you could tell me what stands out from your memories as a child in Spain spending Christmas. Well, the main thing and one of my favorite traditions and one of the few traditions that I kept for a very long, long time was uh, the las uvas eating those 12 grapes on New Year's Eve at, well, at 12 o'clock of the 1st of January and eating those grapes while the chimes are going off um, for, for each day or for each month of the year. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's quite a strong memory. I don't know if you want me to explain a little bit more or if that was enough, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us why do people eat 12 grapes at New Year's? <laughs> <laughs> a very good question and there there are a few theories which uh, I only came about because I looked into it I, I it's one of those things that you do not know where the tradition comes from and one is that you're supposed to do it for good luck and they are called las uvas de la suerte the grapes of luck and you you take one grape for every chime so you're basically taking a grape for every month I imagine luck for every month and what what I think is interesting as well, it, it's been heavily commercialized. Uh, I, I don't know if you still do it, but you used to be able to buy cans of peeled, ready-to-be-eaten grapes with 12 yeah. in them. Yeah, yeah, you can. I saw those last year. They come in a little dish of just yes. 12 perfect grapes. <laughs> it, it it feels wrong not to have to peel them, to take the, <laughs> the stones out and stuff. Uh, the other thing I, I heard about why this tradition had happened was, well, there's various theories that it started one year when there was a particularly good grapes uh, year, when they had lots mm -hmm. of uh, grapes, so they were able to, to eat them and they had to use them. That's one theory. And there's also one that says that it emerged from the lower classes where they were taking the mickey out of the upper classes with their champagne during New Year and all these things that they were doing. And they went, well, we're going to be just as cool as you. And they were taking, they went into the streets and took out, um, ate these grapes for every chime. So lots of different stories of where it comes from. I like that. I like that potentially the, the poorer classes were the ones whose tradition has outlasted anything. And it's so unique. I don't think it's done <laughs> anywhere else in the world. Have you heard of it in other countries? I've heard, but please, I, I'm, I haven't checked it, but I have heard of in Italy, they eat lentils, oh. <laughs> like a spoonful of lentils. I think I, I'm sorry if uh, if I've got that wrong, but uh, I think maybe there there's a similar tradition. But you're right. I, yeah, I've never thought of it. I haven't heard if they do it anywhere else. Well, I was just telling Simon I learned about the Catalan tradition of caja tío recently, which made me laugh so much. Yes. So I wanted to go through some other Christmas traditions they have in Spain, and I thought maybe we should start broad. So is it true that Christmas in Spain is generally celebrated more on Christmas Eve than on Christmas Day itself? Uh, that's it. more celebrated as in... Like Christmas Eve is sort of a bigger deal than Christmas Day. That hasn't been my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's different. And what happens in some families is you might do Christmas Eve with one part of the family. So say, if I remember when I'm a child, maybe uh, we do Christmas um, Eve with my father's family and then we do Christmas Day with my mother. So I think sometimes... It, people use it, they split up. <laughs> so they mm -hmm. use it to split up the time of the people they spend it with. And 
I, I don't think because I think that it's different because, of course, Christmas Eve goes into the gift giving, maybe in a way. But at the same time, Christmas Day is the day when you bring, if you go out to someone else's house for the meal, then you'll bring the gifts with you. So, no, I think they've got equal weight, right? both of them, from my experience. Yeah, yeah, I think, but possibly it's quite an old-fashioned thing that I, I have heard people say, oh, we only sort of do Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve's the main thing, but ah. maybe that's an old-fashioned thing before there was more divorces, as you say, or like even just more <laughs> larger families and, you know, families had to get more creative with time. Yeah, that's a point about the way that families, that the sizes have changed in, in some places. So, and, and also I wonder whether before you had to choose because also it was more difficult to travel. Yeah. Whereas now, I mean, even in my lifetime, the, the roads have changed so much. Before it was really, it took ages to get anywhere in Spain and now actually it's quite easy to travel. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. Don't know. Okay. So at Christmas lunches or Christmas Eve dinners, it is common to see a dessert called a roscon on offer. Can you tell our listeners what that is? So I think that is more common of the for the the fifth and the sixth of January, uh, which is uh, it's a kind of I wouldn't call it dough. It's a kind of bizcocho, <laughs> kind of not sponge mm-hmm. cake. So it's 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 a it's a round piece of bake, baked stuff. So I'm really bad with my my culinary terms are really bad, um, <laughs> but it's basically it's round and a bit like a dry sponge. But sometimes it's cut horizontally and it has cream or maybe even chocolate inside. But the traditional one doesn't have anything in it. And the interesting thing about it is that someone in that round piece of baked <laughs> dry sponge is a surprise <laughs> it's a little gift and it will be usually if you buy it in a in a pasteleria or whatever it will be a small little thing but of course the the joy of the roscon is who gets to <laughs> break their teeth on the prize when they bite into it so it's um, I'm not quite sure where it comes from so in, in, in Spain you have of course you have Santa Claus but you also have the three kings mm. who bring their their presents on the 5th of January and the night of the 5th of January and the children wake up on the 6th of January to to their presents and of course it's a national holiday and I think the fact that the Roscon has a, a surprise, a present in it that matches those presents. So, yeah, that's that's that. And it's I don't I like it if it's got something in it because it's very dry. But all the 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 bakeries and all the places where you can usually buy lots of nice baked stuff, they only have roscones on the fifth and the sixth. That's all you can get. Okay. Well, speaking of the nativity, uh, another crazy tradition in Spain is the cajamer. For our <laughs> listeners. In a lot of nativity scenes, in shops everywhere in in Spain, you can find, especially at Christmas time, a little figure of of a man, but it also can be like a pop icon or, you know, just a a member of state or a, a notable person around the world, just with their pants halfway down, just relieving themselves. And you're supposed to add it to the scene. How on earth would you explain what that is and why it exists to a foreigner? So I think it, it's worth saying that the nativity scenes that are very popular in houses as well. And um, they have all the bits and pieces from what, what you would expect uh, Bethlehem to have looked at all that time ago. Um, but I have to say, um, I don't remember why there is <laughs> that person there. 
yeah. It's bizarre. It doesn't, I don't know why anyone would have thought it seems quite blasphemous maybe even you know yes. oh i think that's wonderful maybe it's just the to give it a more informal <laughs> touch i don't really know sorry <laughs> oh. oh well no i don't i don't think anyone knows yeah. i think that's just why i kind of love how crazy spain is excellent um oh what about the christmas gordo what can you tell us about that? Um, this is the big um, um, lottery l- l- uh, thing that they have in, in Spain. And again, I'm not a big lo- loteria, so loteria player, mm-hmm. which is, uh, but it is the, the big um, the big prize that, uh, that, that, that they have there. And I think there's a couple of them, but the big one I think is uh, El Gordo de Navidad. And there's a whole tradition around it in that one, a lot of people will buy the, the tickets, if you will, those boletos de Navidad. People will give them out. They'll give out the things to their friends. Um, uh, people will team up and buy lots of them together. And so when, when the price is finally announced, there's like groups of people sometimes who win prices. So I think it also brings people together around mm. it. And basically, the, it, it's, it's transmitted on, um, uh, on TV. It's broadcast on TV as well. And the lovely thing about it is you have the tradition of... So the, the I don't even know what the... What is the, the name of that big thing that r- goes um, around with the balls inside yes. for the, the lottery, lottery numbers? Ball, I <laughs> don't guess. know what the, that's called. The, yeah. Lottery ball. The draw thing. <laughs> yeah, so where they draw the numbers from and they call out. And the lovely thing is that they have children calling out the, mm. the numbers. And there's this whole chanting way of el nana, mm. el dos, el veintidós. And, <laughs> and then they say all the numbers and then they go, 25 millones de there's this whole thing is a whole tradition and you just learn this stuff and the i think if i if i'm correct uh, if i'm right in this the the children come from an orphanage and when i was little there used to be only boys uh, singing this and now there's boys and girls so traditions evolve and it's it's very specific like you see this and it's this whole thing it's very interesting i mean it is gambling on a mass scale but they do often highlight good causes you're right wonderful and the last uh, annual tradition i thought i'd ask you about is the dia de los santos inocentes this is something i read about recently but hadn't heard of before celebrated on december 28th do you know anything about that yeah this is the equivalent of april's fool's day and but it has a much well I don't know the story behind April's Fools actually but the it's quite a dark the tradition behind the 28th of December Dia de los Santos Inocentes is well it's the day that Herod uh, said okay let's kill all the babies that are I don't my religious um, education was <laughs> I didn't have a religious education but I think let's kill all the all the boys who were under two years old I think he was trying to kill Jesus and so that's the day of the of the innocence, of the holy innocence. And it is celebrated by people playing tricks on each other. If I'm in Spain during on that day, I'm always very careful because you don't know who's celebrating it and you might land with uh, an, an egg falling near you. Or what we used to do when I was little, we used to uh, put um, little men, so we'd cut out little like stick figures from paper mm-hmm. and with sellotape stick them on people's backs. <laughs> so that was something that we, we used to do. So it was very Oh, but that really got him. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. That was the tradition. Or we'd go with my cousins. If I was with my cousins in Gandia, we would uh, go to, um, we'd buy some stuff. And for example, there were sugar cubes, which had 
toy well plastic flies inside so when you put it in the coffee the sugar would melt and then the person would find what they thought was a fly in their cup that's a good one yes there were lots of stuff and you hear a lot of bangs and you know uh, um, lots of like um, not fireworks but bangers and stuff like that going off so it's in some places you'll really feel it and in other places you barely and there's always one like in April's Fool's Day there will always be like the big news that is not true and stuff like that so that's quite right (laughs) and so so now you live in London what is something you miss if you can't spend Christmas in Spain or do you usually spend Christmas in Spain I I do spend it in Spain but I don't really celebrate it because I just it's just something I I don't celebrate much I mean we do something special for for food Uh, but I, I miss but I miss Christmas as a child. Mm. I think that it was a lot of fun. Um, all the, of course, all the singing. I think what I do miss is the Spanish carols. You get so. I've always listened to English carols that are sung by choirs, and even if there's children singing, they always sound in tune. But the image I have, what I miss, is the carols the Spanish carols which are always out of tune they're a lot more less melodic and you know there's something really raw about that so I I miss that side that's so cute and I I do I it must have been so magical growing up especially in Madrid where I mean I've only ever been at Christmas but it, it, the lights, mm. like the amount of effort yes. they go to to put up lights on the street, Christmas lights and big bauble ornaments and sculptures and the wreaths that they put up. I mean, it, it is it is magical and Spain definitely knows how to decorate a city, that's for sure. And also something I'm thinking, especially, like I said, I, I used to spend some time in Gandia, which is a much smaller city than Madrid. And there, of, I, I, if I remember correctly, sometimes you had speakers out into the street playing these carols. So it's, it's, it's yeah, it's about the whole spirit splashing out onto the streets. Something that confused me that I thought I'd run by you. <laughs> Let's see. Last night we were at a bar watching the football and two children ran in. This is about, uh, what, 830 Two children ran in, started singing yes. about half a carol with a tambourine, then wanted money, yes. f- like handed around the tambourine to collect coins. Yeah. And we were like, yeah. guys, you didn't even sing a whole song. Come on. <laughs> What's that about? Well, you're lucky they didn't just put their hand. So um, El Aguinaldo, that's very common. And if you listen to some carols, I can't remember which one. There's definitely one that spells it out. If you sing, uh, if you listen to some Spanish carols, you will hear people uh, like kids saying, "We came to ask for the aguinaldo." Hemos venido a pedir el aguinaldo, and it's very common. Um, but sometimes it would be common just to hear ding dong in your house and a couple of kids singing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I do remember in Madrid, I used to live in a block of flats, and I think I do remember at one point hearing children going down you know coming down and singing and knocking on everyone's door so yeah and it's also what you give so for example to um, if you have people who work in your building or whatever or the concierge and you give them that extra bonus the christmas bonus sometimes it can be you can say oh it's el aguinaldo so it's quite it's quite common (laughs) but it's very strange beautiful oh there you go well that has helped me out and hopefully our listeners too will now not be confused (laughs) Pilar Orti, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've really you filled in a lot of gaps in the knowledge 
And oh no, I think it'll help Great. us all enjoy Christmas more in Spain as well. Excellent. Well, thank you and Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. I love hearing a Spanish person speak really good English like that. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? <laughs> so great. She's got a fantastic accent. Um, and yeah, have you got your Christmas lottery ticket? Not yet, but I will buy it before I fly off to Australia. And you're ready for Spanish April Fools. <laughs> yeah. You're going to do, do it in Australia. Yeah, maybe I'll do it in Australia just to really mess with them. No one will know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you can listen to Pilar's Spanish food podcast, Gastronostalgia, which we will link on our Twitter uh, and speaking just quickly of Catalan's Cajonera, I just saw this morning that the Puglevases prison, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, it's a, it's a prison in Barcelona, has taught the inmates how to make the statuettes in collaboration with a private family business, Cajonera.com. So oh, well, there you go. So you could get your very own Cajonera, which is sculpted by straight a Straight from a prison a inmate. Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. Lovely. <laughs> Simon, for this week's Media Watch, you wanted to share a BBC article that caught your eye. Yeah, there's this fantastic article this week that someone, uh, one of our Twitter friends, Tweet, uh, who I still don't know who he is, he's our friend from <laughs> Valencia who's hiding behind a, a veil of anonymity, he sent me this fantastic article on the BBC website from journalist uh, Jill Petzinger about Spain's female ham carvers. Now, I'm completely obsessed with jamón. In fact, I'm I'm working, this is why he sent it me, because I'm working on an article for the Food and Wines from Spain website site right now about jamón de añada which is basically ham that has a vintage like a wine so a specific year yields a you know particularly special um ham hmm. uh but anyway um not to get distracted jill's article is about how uh, carving ham at bars and restaurants and events such as weddings used to be uh, pretty much the sole preserve of men but now a new generation of women uh, taking their place at the uh, at the slicing table and um, one of the people that she spoke to is uh, Raquel Acosta and uh, she's one of Spain's most high profile carvers now um, and I mean it's a total art because not only not only are you cutting the ham but then you have to they, they lay it out on the mm. on the plates in it's this, like a it, spiral it does it looks it looks like some sort of um, incredible pattern doesn't it it's mm. absolutely beautiful I wish I could uh, cut ham like that <laughs> um, and they in the article Raquel said that she they can get paid as much as a thousand euros for a full day event yes, so it really yes. is a very coveted art i really liked in the article how they said the spanish word for cutter is cortador which didn't originally have a female equivalent because women just weren't doing the job yeah and cortadora is is the word for the machine so now they're claiming back the word yeah that's awesome now nothing's left but simon's news roundup deal between the UK and Spain on the future of Gibraltar looked to take a step closer to becoming a reality this week after the foreign ministers of both countries met at hastily arranged talks in Madrid. After the meeting, José Manuel Álvarez and James Cleverly made clear that modest differences remain but that the talks were advancing at a good pace. According to the Spanish foreign minister, the proposal from the European Commission and Spain that is on the UK's table would see the border fence between the British Overseas Territory and Spain's scrapped with the free movement of people and goods. One of the remaining points of conflict, however, is Spain's demand that its officers carry out passport checks at Gibraltar's airport and port. 
Christmas, travelers can breathe a sigh of relief after one of Spain's biggest trade unions, Comisiones Obreras, called off a six-day strike over pay that was due to disrupt flights over the holiday season. Airport workers from state company Aena had scheduled a stoppage over their productivity bonuses, which were suspended due to the pandemic, but, the union argued, should now be reinstated given the uptick in air traffic. At talks earlier this week, unions and the transport ministry reached a deal that would see the bonuses returned. And finally, staying on the subject of air travel, the travel sector has hit out at the Spanish government for still not scrapping the requirement to wear masks on public transport and in particular, aeroplanes. Spain is now the only country in Europe and one of the few in the world where face coverings are still required on flights, despite the fact that the flu virus is currently causing more hospitalizations than COVID-19 right now. Spain's Association of Airlines said it is inexplicable for Spain to keep the need for masks in place, pointing out that on a 12-hour flight, people can be required to wear a mask for just one hour when over Spanish airspace, as if that were going to reduce the possibility of contact. And that was it for the fourth episode of season three of La Portada. This episode was recorded in Madrid City on December 16th. Your hosts were Simon Hunter and me, Lily Mayers. Don't forget to get in touch over Christmas. Our socials are at La Portada Pod and our email is laportadapod at gmail.com. You can also tweet us directly at Simon in Madrid and at Lily Mayers. Please support us on Patreon. It only takes a second. We're only asking for the price of a... Relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. And your donations mean that we can continue with the podcast long term. Head to patreon.com forward slash La Portada Pod and sign up. You'll get the podcast on Fridays as soon as we've finished editing it. And you'll also enjoy bonus content. This week, as Lily mentioned, we'll be doing something of a Christmas quiz as we try to catch each other out with facts <laughs> about Spain, Spanish and a whole lot of things in between. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego. Feliz Navidad. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) 